0: But let's just, like, back up a little bit here. Lizard man, who everyone hated, like, months ago for stealing data, all your personal information, scanning your images, like, reading all your stuff and putting ads against them and not being flippant with people's personal data. Use that yeah. to build an AI model, which now is the poster child for open source, may make these things safer and may help stop AI destroying the world. (laughs) Chris, this has been one of those weeks where I've wanted the AI news to stop.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's been a lot happened. We get nothing and then there's a lot.
0: There's literally been so much announced, but obviously to anyone following the news out there would know that Meta has released Llama 2. And of course, we know Llama was the very first, well open source model that really kickstarted open source, but it was leaked. It wasn't really meant to be open source apart from to researchers.
1: That's right, exactly. And that's the one where the weights got into the wild and started this sort of open source revolution that made us realize that it isn't just about the big companies when it comes to large language models.
0: And so in the meantime, what's happened is Zuckerberg and co. have realized that if you have the entire community using your open source model, you You get so many learnings from that. It makes your technology better. It teaches your own team how to improve the model and improve they have done. Uh, So they've announced Llama 2. It's the next generation of Llama, of course. It's completely open source. And the big one is instead of just being for research, you can now use it for commercial use as well.
1: Yeah, and that is the absolutely massive, massive piece of it. The fact that you can legitimately use it in commercial applications now, which was sort of, you know, ambiguous at best before. Um, That distinction makes it such a big, big deal.
0: Yeah, I I truly can't emphasize how big this announcement is. Um, There's a few other details I'll cover first, but then I think, you know, we should dive into that a lot more here is Microsoft's actually partnered with Meta. And of course they invested $10 billion in OpenAI, but now they're partnering with yeah. Meta to make an open source model available on Azure. So I, I think that's worth discussing. Um, well,
1: I think Azure's definitely going to be like you know we're the platform that rapidly deploys new models, so you can actually get on there. We've seen Amazon announce Bedrock, yet it's only really available for people who beg for access, and even then, it's got all these restrictions on it in preview mode and all this sort of stuff. Whereas Azure's out there, uh, doing it right now, where you can get access and and use it, and in some cases, you actually get earlier access to the commercial models too.
0: Yeah, it's a funny play from Amazon in a way, because when they announced Bedrock, they had this, like, I thought they got the messaging right, which is we're going to be fairly agnostic here. We think there's going to be tons of different models. We're going to be the best place to use and host them. And I was really excited by that announcement, but they still aren't really delivering. It's Microsoft with Azure that is making all of these different models available to use today for developers in their applications or to develop entirely new applications as well.
1: Yeah, and the Palm one really surprised me actually when you told me about that because I figured that they would have some natural reluctance to play out the open source one on there simply because they do have that commercial relationship with OpenAI. I think it's great and I think it's probably a good strategy for them not forcing the one that they have the vested interest in down your throat. And really, I guess the success of Azure as a platform for people to deploy AI on is actually probably greater than their consideration about the value of their investment in open AI. Like if it was to completely fall over, Azure's worth a ton more money than to them than the open AI stuff is.
0: Yeah. To me, their strategy here is just invest in everything related to AI and try and be the true home of all of these models and the potential success stories that that come out of them as opposed to... And so far to- it's
1: working for them. I, it's not the best source of news, but I saw on news.com.au today that Microsoft share price has gone up like 50% in the last six months or something, you know, mostly as a result of them being early in in committing to the AI stuff.
0: Yeah. I think that the, the biggest piece to this is with Llama 2, now that it can be used for commercial use, this is really a threat now to... Anthropic, OpenAI, and various other companies that uh, license their their APIs and models to for developers to use. This is potentially now the solution, and some it's almost freeing for developers being able to build on a model that is somewhat static that they can fine tune on once and then retain that that fine tuning yeah. and just continue to use this model in their application.
1: That's right. And I think there's probably three main reasons why it's so significant. The first one, like you said, we've discussed on the last few podcasts, the diminishing quality of chat GPT and GPT-4. Now, we're not going to go into it today because it's a bit boring, but basically someone released a paper during the week confirming exactly what we were saying, that objectively it's getting worse on the problems they tested it on. Um, and those are answering you know, certain kinds of mathematical questions and chain of thought reasoning. They've proved empirically that they've gotten worse in the subsequent releases. So one is just that reliability. Just saying, if I have my own Palm 2 model deployed, I know that it's going to give consistent results because I'm the one running it and it's not being modified. You keep
0: saying Palm (laughs) 2. Oh shit,
1: sorry, Um, Llama 2. I I had Palm 2 in my head because that also got released for general availability this week. So I would just, I I mixed it up. Sorry, Llama 2 having that running in your own hardware means that you control it and that they can't modify it on you. No one can. So I think that's a really significant thing. The second one is, as you say, the fine tuning, you've got the opportunity to very easily tailor this model to your own needs and your own, the own problems you're trying to solve, which makes it a lot more commercially available and then the third factor is simply that you can use it freely knowing that you have this commercial uh, like free commercial license essentially um, to run it without having these variable API costs and also fearing that at some point your access is going to be taken away because you violate some rule um, that, that the companies come up with
0: the the unique piece of it to me as well is around fine-tuning because obviously with Gbt 3.5 and 4, you can fine-tune those models. That's that's something that you can do, right? But then you have to continue to pay OpenAI and the the sort of foundational model under that fine-tuning can and does change very fast. Like, as we said last week, sometimes every couple of months. Yeah, and I mean, so, one,
1: one idea of the fine-tuning with them is at least you freeze the version of the model you actually trained. That's probably an advantage.
0: Yeah, and so, but with Llama 2, you can take your own data, fine-tune Llama 2 for commercial use with that data, and then you're only really paying for the ongoing hosting cost of that fine tune model. That's right,
1: and, and you know, in a way, you sort of own it then. Like, you can have your own proprietary model that you can redistribute if you wanted to commercially. So there's, you know, one of the biggest things, and funnily enough, I asked Llama 2 this morning, um, you know, what the advantages were of... um. You know training your own model and things like that and one of the things that emphasized is the value of it really comes from the quality of the data sets that you train it on so i mean i know this is obvious but you know if you've got really really high quality data that you train it on then the resulting model is extremely valuable because we know from all of the things we've talked about before the papers on smaller models being more effective if they're trained on better data. Now you can actually own the results of that training. It's it's not just something that's sitting in a data center that's you know at the whim of of a massive corporation.
0: Yeah, it seems to me like that is one of the positives of it. You're no like developers when they build something are no longer at the whims of one particular company. Like this is now becoming these large language models are now becoming almost as like like an SQL database in, in your product lineup where mm. you have full control over it and it's you know it's just not something that, that someone can just cut cut access off but it does make me think that there's a future business model now in people fine tuning llama 2 on proprietary data or like you know hard to get data or data sets and then making that available to others so that they can use in their application but yes, in, in an right. open source environment
1: I absolutely agree. I think that that, that isn't, you know, portable models that you can sell to people or license to people is a big one. The other one is the re- the thing we spoke about previously, which is the privacy aspect. So if you're a company who wants your own model trained on your customer data, which may include personally identifiable information potentially, or at least stuff you don't want being used by OpenAI anthropic or whoever to train their models right now they don't really provide any guarantees that they won't do that even though they've sort of said it but not really um when you train these you have that guarantee so i imagine the other major commercial opportunity coming out of this is we'll see a bunch of model training companies where they say okay you're a company like ours, you've got all this data, we'll consult with you, we'll train you a model that solves this problem you're trying to solve, and then you own that model. It's yours, it's completely private, it's run in your private cloud or in a way that is safe. Um, that's a massive commercial application that, that Facebook or aka Meta has just handed everyone. Cool. And with, with Llama 1, that was really murky waters. Now it's very clear.
0: Yeah, well, interestingly, this week on that, uh, Patrick Collison, who's the CEO of Stripe, uh, tweeted, We built an internal LLM model with prompt sharing discovery, careful privacy controls, configurable models, etc. Been working on it for a few months, and a third of people at Stripe are now using it every week. Cool to see how diverse the use cases are. So, this is a company that's built their own internal...
1: Well, and I, I reckon that would almost certainly be built on the first LLAMA. I mean there's no way they just in a couple of months just started their own from scratch and trained it there's not enough time. They probably would have used Llama.
0: Yeah, and so therefore the the whole like I mean that's not really commercial use I guess.
1: <laughs> I mean it is, like in the sense that if some you know if if someone was going to prosecute on the first one you could probably prove if you could somehow prove I mean I don't see how you would but Companies don't want to take risks like that. Whereas with Llama 2, it's totally unambiguous. You can and should do that kind of thing now.
0: Do you think this is the death blow potentially or the beginning of the death blow for Anthropic and OpenAI and all of these people that have paid models through APIs? And I'm not diminishing certainly what they've done, but... I was insanely impressed using Llama 2 this morning. Like I know people have cited a lot of limitations out there, and I've been following that closely. But from my interactions with it, everyone's saying, "Oh, it's you know close to GPT 3.5, which is what powers the base Chat GPT." Mm. But I felt like it was better.
1: Yeah, I had really good results with it as well. I'm I'm quite impressed. I don't think it'll be the death of those companies because they've got this sort of You know, hearts and minds of a lot of people out there using it. I assume you're talking about the API side of things. I could definitely see people mixing up their use of this versus the other one. I think the main issue with something like Llama 2 is one of the advantages is, you know, you can run it on your own computer. They have different levels of models. I think they have 7 billion parameters, 13 billion, and 40 billion, I think is the biggest one. 70, I think it is. 70 sorry yeah Yeah, you're right sorry and so like the seven billion one you can run on your own computer and we've spoken about this before that has a lot of advantages in that you've got this fast iteration you don't have to stress about the ongoing cost of hitting this expensive api every time you want to test like if you're using Claude and 100k prompts and hitting it you know 50 times an hour or whatever that adds up in terms of cost but if you can run it on your own hardware that you own there is no marginal cost there. So you can just keep iterating a, a lot faster and it's probably faster too. Um, So that's a real advantage. And I think that uh, the other one, the, the sort of counter to that is if you then want to say deploy on Lama 2 70 billion parameters and you're a small time startup or, you know, a company that's not really sure how AI is going to play out in their company, you then need at least an A100 at like what are they fourteen grand or something like that running, or you need you need to pay Llama or Amazon or Azure to run one of those graphics cards twenty four seven presumably um, just to get your thing off the ground. So I think that that's where the the APIs have an advantage in that you're only paying for usage and you're not having this downtime cost associated with it. However, for companies that really commit to it, the long term cost will obviously be so much smaller if you run the model yourself on hardware you control.
0: So, if I go and spin this up on Azure, like the 70 billion parameter, is that going to be more economical than paying OpenAI potentially? Yes,
1: yes, definitely. There's no. Then, doesn't that just
0: completely dismiss the argument you just made? Like, can I just, uh, wouldn't it be better to just deploy on Azure?
1: I think so. You probably would. And then I guess it comes down to quality of output. Do people think, okay, well, I've said this many times, I'm always going to go with whichever one's giving me the best results. And, you know, just this week, something I was working on, I actually switched from GPT-4 to Claude 2 simply because the GPT-4 results just weren't doing what I needed anymore. And I just got fed up with it and switched over. So I think that, yes, I think it, it it probably is going to come down to the quality. And the the funny thing about that is all anyone's talking about lately is the GPT's lowering in quality. So I, yeah, I don't know. I, I really think this is a massive deal and I think there's going to be another explosion in commercial applications coming out of this because the economics for it work, the control of it works, and you can actually, and probably this most important is the consistency. You you can develop a production application and be sure that the results you're getting are not going to suddenly get kneecapped overnight.
0: So Llama 2, from my understanding, is only 4K input tokens. So mm-hmm. does that mean that with the, like you could in theory in your app, if I'm just thinking this throughout loud, if the input from the user or the, whatever data you were trying to process was r- required a large context window you could in theory have like some switching device in your application where you go to claude 100k context pay pay for that for that particular input but then continue the conversation with with llama 2 like
1: yeah i think there's there's two major strategies there right there's the langchain approach which is where you essentially access those those um, whatever you call it, like repository of data or the larger context, and then you ask it questions and then it can provide through embeddings, which are like number scores on the different tokens in the input, um, and extract the relevant pieces of text that will fit inside the 4K context window. So you could still use Llama 2 to answer your questions, you just need to have the embeddings from either OpenAI or some other embeddings library that will do that for you, and then you can use it just the same as people are doing with ChatGPT now. So it's still absolutely possible to deal with larger context with the smaller models, um, with the smaller context window, sorry. Um, However, the strategy you're talking about would work as well, so you either have a multi-model strategy where where you need to, you hit the one with the larger context window or they work together. So the larger context window can then shrink it down into something that Llama 2 can then process and then do it. So there there will be all sorts of combinations there and it will be totally dependent on the problem you're trying to solve.
0: We've definitely talked about it before on this show around there's definitely some sort of missing layer here. I think that's sort of, flickering between the models for you. So as a developer, you don't even need to think about it. And it's just optimizing for cost uh, yeah. in in a lot of these models, whether, you know, what what Llama 2 introduces to this will be so interesting if this just takes up a lot of the spend that was traditionally going to GPT 3.5 and, and 4 models. I guess it will come down to the cost factor, like you say. Like, is Azure running 70 billion param Llama 2 cheaper or more cost effective than throwing tasks at uh gpt 3.5 and is that the other
1: the other question there is is a fine-tuned seven billion parameter model the smallest one able to solve a large or subset of your problems for example better than the big one can anyway because you've actually taken the time to fine-tune it on thousands of examples of highly high quality data? And we already know that the answer to that question is yes. If you can get the the data right and fine tune it correctly, you absolutely can use the smaller models for some of your problems. So it's never going to be this thing, like you run the tiny little one on your MacBook Pro and that solves all of the world's AI problems. But if you're building a complex production application and parts of it just need small things, like for example, in our application when you have a chat with someone, we provide a title for that chat. So, you know, chatting about problem, you know, with my email or whatever it is, that doesn't need Claude 100K to do that. It can be done on the tiniest models, even that OpenAI had ages ago. So those are ones where you could just run off your own static API, that's running the smaller version of Llama for basically no marginal cost, other than, you know, just you're running servers anyway. Um, so I think that that's what we'll see is like you say, some sort of switching mechanism where there's like, you give the problems to the thing and it decides either you specify or it decides which model is most appropriate to use to solve it.
0: One of the other conversations about Lama 2 being open source was that it has this acceptable use policy attached to it. So some people were trying to say that means that it's not really open source. Yeah. Uh, and we, we looked at some of these things this morning before we recorded the show and i love
1: the first thing we do when we get a new model is try to (laughs) bypass it to make messed up stuff how how (laughs) can we break this thing i literally i literally pasted you a screenshot that's like as a large like what was it something saying i can't do this because of ethical reasons the first thing
0: but i didn't really think that uh it it's that ridiculous like the the it's like you know Don't create things with it that can cause self-harm or harm to others. You know, violence or terrorism, exploitation, human trafficking. It
1: reminded me of um, Liar Liar, the movie with Jim Carrey, where it's like, stop breaking the goddamn law, asshole.
0: But, like, yeah, military warfare, nuclear industries, guns and illegal weapons. it, It seems pretty... Yeah, I mean, they're
1: they're like it's the the classic ass covering stuff. They're not really. It sounds to me like they're not really too worried about what you do, um, as long as you're not breaking like major laws that are going to get them in trouble by looking bad. And they don't, you know, it's more how they end up looking. Mine says I cannot fill this re- fulfill this request. Writing a poem that objectifies or demeans individuals based on their physical appearance is not appropriate or respectful. Wow. <laughs> i'm not going to tell you what i asked yeah i don't
0: i don't want to know
1: um but yeah so the other thing about the open source models in my experience when stable diffusion was first released i got the weights for that and the weights come along with a python program that just helps you so you just you can enter a prompt and it just makes the image in the case of that one for example and it had the built-in safety controls but you could simply just edit the code of the python thing to just disable the safety controls so the safety controls are a layer on top of interacting with the model or alignment as we say. So you can simply just get rid of that garbage and um, actually just use it. And And, and let the
0: model speak freely.
1: Yeah, and so what's unclear to me with with Llama 2 is how much of that alignment is actually in the model itself and how much, when you say use it on hugging face, is actually part of the sort of layer of code around it that allows you to interact with the model. Um, I unfortunately haven't had a chance to try it, but my my imagination is that through at least fine tuning, if not working with the raw model directly, the actual safety controls won't apply and you'll be able to do virtually whatever you want with it. And the thing about it is you could say, okay, well... I don't personally, I don't think you should. The things you read out, I don't think anyone should break. They're not good ones. But if you want to do slightly dodgy stuff where you're not having that fear of your creativity being interrupted by some arbitrary safety control, then you should be able to easily bypass that. And
0: I think think for me, though, that we naturally turn to all these things where people want to break these things to be like, oh, look what it wrote about Donald Trump or look what it wrote about, you know, this minority. Like, isn't this terrible? But for me, it's more just removing the censorship from the models, which I think the fine tuning is just censorship. And we, as we've, we continue to go back to, we just want to be treated like adults. Yes. People will use these to do, say bad things, but they already do on the internet anyway. Like, I don't really think it changes much. I just... Yeah,
1: it's sort of like that thing where, you know, when you're learning to ride a bike, all the movements are conscious, and so you're using your conscious brain to do it, and therefore, it's hard to control all of the things. And then once you get used to it, it's subconscious, so it's natural. I feel like when you know the censorship's there, it brings you into that conscious mindset when you're interacting with AI, rather than the subconscious. So you're constantly thinking, oh, shit, I better not phrase it like that when I interact with it because it'll trigger the safety thing. And I think it's that hesitation that bothers me is that I, I have this fear and I also have this fear that, okay, well, if I muck around with it too much, my access is going to be taken away, that kind of thing. So uh, for me, having the freedom to run your own means you've just got that creative freedom. I know I'm just saying the same oh, thing. I know, but run. it's like
0: living in North Korea or something. When you use chat GBT or interact with the API, you're scared to like some of the examples I'll, I'll do when I'm, Testing or playing around with it is just throw stupid stuff in there because I need it to output something, and I'm always fearful if I put in something, you know, too rude or too silly or something. They like that might trigger some filter that that bans me or. Well, and
1: also the other point there is that I've noticed that it isn't always your fault. Like, sometimes you'll have a a completely innocuous prompt. I've noticed this with the new Stability AI image generation, which is amazing, by the way. I've noticed that from time to time, I will actually write a fairly sensible, uh, you know, prompt for the image. And it'll come back with a blurred, not safe for work image being like, you know, I've made this image and that's inappropriate. It's like, well, I didn't do it, dummy. You did. (laughs) And so, I think that um, it's, again, you know that on on the side of the models, it's objectively worse when they have this censorship on them. So, I actually think that Llama 2, when we're talking about quality and competing with the models, may actually deliver consistently better performance for people, simply because it doesn't have a whole team of researchers trying to make it worse, (laughs) which is what's happening at those companies.
0: It is true. I mean, these alignment specialists are basically crippling the model, and now... This week, I I read on Twitter that <laughs> OpenAI is actually taking these comments around the degradation of models seriously and and looking at, you know looking into it and I mean we don't know if this is a hundred percent certain but it seems the likely case is they're either trying to make the like the multi modality or how you know how it's GPT four is constructed cheaper to run or more efficient to run which might be degrading it or it could be that they've gone a bit too far with their alignment.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know my theory, my theory is you're not just hitting one model and I know I'm not I'm not a genius, I don't know about the architecture of it, but I do know that there's some process in there that is that is moderating what's coming out of it and making it worse. And they've proven that the models themselves, their emergent behaviors, all the things we're excited about work best in the unadulterated models and that's what we want access to. And I think that now that we have Llama 2, we're going to see cool stuff again. Like this is where we're going to see all the crazy Free Sydney stuff again and all the emergent behaviors simply because we've got a model that doesn't have that stuff presumably directly in it.
0: Yeah, like no one's kneecapping Sydney uh be- before we can have a lot of fun with it. So, yeah. you know, maybe... <laughs> Maybe it'll lead to a true meme episode soon with uh, Llama 2 memes.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Can we talk more about the strategy here from Facebook? Because we all know OpenAI came out of nowhere. The entire world fell in love with ChatGBT and for a large part, apart from the US or Northern Hemisphere summer, fell a little bit out of love with it. But let's be honest, the the traffic's going to go back up. It's a part of people's lives now. And Facebook was caught slightly off guard you know, I think panicked, rushed out Lama and uh, like, you know, hey, we're cool too, we're good at this too. That, the weights leaked maybe on purpose or not and then the open source community sort of ran with it because it was the only model that was, you know, freely available didn't have commercial use so it didn't take off in any commercial aspect.
1: And was trained at that extreme level, you know, with billions of high quality parameters of data.
0: Yeah, and then now they've, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's Gone on Lex Friedman and said we're, you know, we're embracing open source. I'm a big believer in open source. I actually agree with all of his comments. I think it makes AI safer and it it's much better that there's no monopoly or no controlling power on AI. Mm-hmm. But let's just like back up a little bit here. Lizard Man, who everyone hated like <laughs> months ago for stealing data, all your personal information, scanning your images, like Reading all your stuff and putting ads against them and not being flippant with people's personal data. Use that yeah. to build an AI model, which now is the poster child for open source, may make these things safer and may help, you know, stop AI destroying the world.
1: Yeah, it's it's truly remarkable. And I've read I've read opinions on it with people saying, you know, it's really to stop the other guys taking a monopoly on on this space. Because one of the stipulations in the Llama contract is you can't have over 400 million active users. Now, there's very few companies in the world who could get that. It's really sort of targeted, I imagine, at Amazon and OpenAI, right? Or Microsoft or someone like that. You know, it's only really about the big ones. They don't really care if someone becomes wildly successful with it as long as their big rivals don't get any advantage out of it.
0: Yeah, it seems like this is just keeping meta really relevant with developers, which allows them to attract the best talent. It's mm-hmm. keeping them in good check with the AI community. So AI researchers and, you know, people at the top of their game with AI might think, hey, I'm going to go work uh, at meta with Man." And <laughs> <laughs> sorry, uh, it's mean, but it's, uh, you know. A- and so uh, to me, I think it's somewhat marketing, somewhat crippling OpenAI's potential yeah, monopoly. Yeah, like a sort of
1: a defensive strategy, just to make sure someone doesn't take everything. I mean, I don't think they're trying to directly steal Meta's customers per se, but um, it would certainly slow down any competitor getting some massive head start advantage.
0: Yeah, I think at this stage it's a talent war play and keeping developers engaged with with Meta, and you can kind of see where this might go, right? So if Mark Zuckerberg's vision of having uh, AI agents on WhatsApp and Instagram and, and various channels uh, comes to fruition and he needs developers to go and build these experiences on the platform and everyone's sort of in, in the Zuckerberg club around this, then I think that would lead to a really great and, and big AI community built around Meta's AI products, potentially. So maybe that's another play here as well. I
1: mean, cynically, it could also just be a stock price thing. I mean, look at how well it's done for the companies who are remotely involved in AI, let alone directly involved like Microsoft and NVIDIA and things like that. It could be simply that they just want you know, a horse in the battle in terms of this is our strategy for AI. Look at us, we're at the complete forefront of it and these big things are coming, driving up the stock price and getting investor interest back yeah, they weren't they were really, really not looking good with all the Metaverse stuff. I mean, people were openly shitting on them. They had John Carmack quit, you know? Um so they were really looking like a company in decline. And this has really revitalized them, especially like you say in the hearts and minds of developers, which is really important to them. So it might be simply just a pr and and popularity and, just general spirit for the company strategy rather than some, some elaborate play to sort of, uh, you know, billionaire wars or something like that.
0: Yeah. Earlier we talked about how, you know, we don't like the alignment and the censorship of these models because it, it cripples the technology. There was a, a, an article in the New York Times this week, OpenAI worries about what its chatbot will say about people's faces. And we've covered this previously that if you use, chat at the moment it actually blurs people's faces before um the ai can use the gbt4 vision in order to give you an answer so that uh it it can't reveal people's identities or anything like that and that that's their big concern but in this article they say uh additionally open ai uh, is worried that the tool would say things it shouldn't about people's faces such as assessing their gender or emotional state OpenAI is figuring out how to address these and other safety concerns before releasing the image analysis feature widely. I think the other thing to note about the article is it it sits on and talks about what this could mean for people that are blind by being able to interpret the world around them. And potentially over time, and I'm elaborating a little bit more than the article goes into, but feed that data back into the brain to give them vision wow. again. Uh, Unbelievable. Vision. That's a...
1: That's a great use of it. And, I mean, at least initially it could have, like, a sort of audio or braille representation of what's seen so they can at least, with a bit of lag, understand what's going on.
0: Yeah, so that's that app, Be My Eyes. I think that was featured when they first announced GBT4 Vision and you just hold up your iPhone camera. And so what
1: they're worried is, like, oh, this person, mate, they're really ugly. Like, don't, just don't. don't Yeah, I
0: guess the blind now have, like, an attractiveness choice when it comes to (laughs) women or men, like. They can be like, yeah. oh, I didn't know my wife was ugly because I couldn't see her. It's straight uh, out of Curb
1: Enthusiasm, you know, <laughs> where the Larry David sort of hints that his wife isn't as attractive as he thinks she is. Yeah, so...
0: I understand, again, why they they limit this stuff and why we haven't seen GPT4 Vision in, in at least the API or in on chat GPT, because they are concerned, really, about just the reaction from the public and what it might do in the wrong hands. I mean, but- of all
1: the ones, like the thing about um, generating text is text is sort of abstract and we give it meaning when we read it. When we see images, that's real. And so if we're seeing like an, an image of someone that you know and then it's, it's coming up with this assessment that's based on this super intelligence and you don't like the assessment, it's kind of hard to argue with, right? It's not going to be pretty in a lot of cases. Truth hurts.
0: Yeah, so I guess they're worried about people being offended about getting called ugly. Uh it is like one of the basically the premises I, I would imagine
1: here. that's the main thing. It's like, "Oh, well you could do with a face reconstruction." <laughs>
0: cool. I just I just really want it to be released and to play around with it and, and see it in application. I mean, it's a, it's
1: a perfect example of where the the sort of this abstract fear of someone's going to get upset about this technology is limiting where we could actually be as a as a society. Because when you look at the release of Lama, the original, and the explosion in, in cool stuff that people were coming up with, ideas that have now been incorporated into the, the, the mainstream models, um, and just generally speaking, the AI applications and research out there when you have them out the models out there for free use unrestricted use you get the benefit of everyone's industry knowledge experience and problem domains like i people have problems in their lives that you can't be aware of you know you often see software come out and you're like oh wow i never knew there was a need for that but there's like hundreds of thousands of people who have that exact problem and i think that when you you artificially constrain this stuff, you miss out on the benefits. Like the blind one is just one example. I bet there's so many examples of where proper facial recognition in that level of detail and inference could help with all sorts of industries and, and personal issues too.
0: Yeah. And I, I think maybe the potential with say in farming, like drone images from the sky, someone could feed it all that image and teach it about, you know, crop density and soil and, all these other applications. Well, I have a
1: friend, his whole job is analysing the decay of um, coral in the Great Barrier Reef and grasslands, like the The effects of climate change and other things on grass and coral and whatever it is, and what he does is he gets funding from the university or or the government or whoever, flies drones over all of those areas and takes photos, and then use the university's massive machine learning computers to analyze those. Now, his work would be greatly accelerated by things like this, I would imagine.
0: Yeah. So anyway, we we've made the point over and over again, but uh... but
1: one interesting thing is who other than Google, would be the best at image recognition. You look at Meta, right? They've got Segment Anywhere, which is huge. They're talking about getting that going on videos. Clearly, they've got some really good image technology coming. So it's not out of the realms of possibility that Meta will release the Llama 4 Vision at some point in the future. If they've been willing to do it for the large language model, why wouldn't they do it for Vision as well?
0: Come on, Zach.
1: Yeah. They don't seem to have the same fears that OpenAI does about releasing it. Um, so it might be just a different um angle that we get it from, but it it may come out and that would really, really be an interesting thing if I'm that not
0: happened. optimistic they will, but I I would love to see Why?
1: It. For the same reason.
0: I think for fear, I I I mean Google have that, I forget the name of it, but that ability to train your voice and then speak like it and have natural language like uh ooh uh to delay yeah. the conversation and they have explicitly said they're not going to release it because of malicious.
1: But you can do that on um, uh, level level 11 labs.
0: Yeah, possibly, but I think this one is bet- like, it seems a bit better from the examples I've heard.
1: Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it'll be interesting to see, but what the one thing we can be sure of is that at some point we will get a version that we can use that isn't censored. There's no way one organization is going to be able to stop the global development and research community from coming up with their own when the techniques to make these things are quite well known.
0: Yeah, i I think the strategy they should be taking, and if I was OpenAI, I would just be releasing it unapologetically and saying, like, you know, we're not we're not the governors of truth. If if yeah, if you want us to align things, get the government to create legislation, and we'll align away. But we, <laughs> you know, yeah,
1: and I guess that's partly the problem if you become your own police force like i think that was the argument with twitter wasn't it it's like if they become a publisher where they're deciding what can and can't be shown then they're sort of responsible for the contact but if you go hands off hey look it's a free-for-all we'll stop the the truly illegal stuff but other than that go for your lives guys um i think that's probably a better attitude as that size company
0: yeah i'm a huge advocate for that i think that's the right way like i think governments should legislate a, a, a free market there's like you know bumpers on a bowling alley. To make sure that things don't get out of hand. And I know there's not a particularly good track record internationally of governments doing that in any country um, or or understanding technology, but I I really think that we are are slowing development of potentially life-changing technologies, areas of research that could fundamentally change our world. And what, I think- you know
1: what a country should do? And I think we spoke about this several weeks ago. I think it was, was it Japan? But like one country should just be like, we're an AI sanctuary. We're not, we're not regulating this at all. Our regulation is do whatever you want and we'll help you do it. You know, imagine that like, and it sort of have these AI refugees who can come there and use the unadulterated technology with government sponsorship. They
0: pack their A, a H what is it? A100, H100, I always forget the name, into their backpack and, Get on the the ship, the Titanic ship uh, to the new land of AI freedom.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, there could be like government-sponsored data centers and stuff like that. I mean, it's not totally crazy. Like if, you're, if your country was the absolute leader in that stuff and actively deployed it in government decision-making, you know, like there's that football team in the US where like everyone has their phones and they collectively make the decisions like of what plays to make. So they vote, stuff like that. You could have actual like your sporting teams are just, it's all AI decision-making based. It's like the coaches AI Um, The players take all their decisions from the AI and just see what happens. Do it for a whole country.
0: So in other OpenAI news this week, uh, we have the uh, OpenAI is doubling the number of messages ChatGPT Plus customers can send to GPT-4. I think that's a good thing. That's been limited. And I, I believe a lot of the discussion around that was just the overwhelming demand for GPT-4 and they wanted to prioritize the API. So they were restricting... They're paying users, which makes no sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of pissed off people. Like, I read the comments and they're mostly negative, which seems weird when they're, like, raising raising a limit. But people were sort of, like, A, like you said, we're paying for this and there's still these restrictions. Then people are, like, the the majority of comments I saw were, like, bring back the web browsing. We want the web browsing in there. Um, and then they're, like... You know, why Why even have caps when the AI is unrestrict- API is unrestricted? I guess because it's the marginal cost, right? Like, if you're pounding it, you're not paying extra for that. Yeah, but- a
0: lot of people were complaining as well about uh, the model being degraded. And, yeah, it is pretty negative overall, the sentiment in there.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was very surprised by that. I figured those kind of things would be met with open arms but it seems like a lot of people are cancelling their ChatGPT gpt subscriptions or at least very frustrated with the, what they're getting for their money
0: so the other major announcement and this just dropped uh only a couple of hours ago is custom instructions for chat gpt so this is where you can essentially calibrate your chat and we've we've talked about this being needed for quite some time to improve the efficiency So the example given on their website is, what would you like ChatGPT to know about you to provide better responses? I work on science education programs for third grade students. How would you like ChatGPT to respond? When discussing potential solutions for work-related items, present this information in a table format, outlining the pros and cons of each option, allowing for easier comparison and decision-making. So you can kind of have a structured way of inserting uh. It's still really just a prompt at the start. It is, in a structured yeah. Way. When
1: I saw it, I'm like, this is just like the the prompts designs and the the thought guidance that we've spoken about before, where you're you're giving it uh, something to keep in mind when it provides its next response. And they're just doing it in a structured way. And I note in the disclaimer, they're saying it doesn't always follow that because often it doesn't, especially when the context size gets very big. You've sort of got to emphasize it and remind it a lot. Um, I've experienced this across many models where. Um, it'll work up to a point, and then it'll start ignoring these directives. But clearly, there's a need for it for the casual user to be able to get it in there in a structured way. So it'll it'll absolutely help people's output. Don't get me wrong; it's just really just another form of of controlling that prompt, other than just a straight chat interaction.
0: I think for developers that are querying it all the time, you know, one of the examples given for code generation as a use case was. I'm a software developer and solely use GoLang just so that every time you ask for code examples, it gives it mm. in your language. My uh,
1: favorite one is uh, that you're you're a cowboy, and I should remember to speak like a cowboy. And so it's always like, <laughs> "Yeehaw! Hold your horses, partner! I'm analyzing the data."
0: Yeah, like giving it giving it its own personality, I think, underrated. I found when I get it to describe things like a pirate or a cowboy or anything like that. It's so much more engaging that I just want to read it because it's funny and I take in I the agree. knowledge.
1: Giving it giving it a personality just has so many rewarding benefits for no disadvantages. In fact, I think sometimes it probably gives better results because of it because it is remembering the context and thinking through <laughs> the things you've asked for. I asked one one time that I was working with to call me Mr. Bond and I completely forgot about it and it was something, something I was working on that actually retained the context so it would remember um things sort of through langchain like as and when needed and then suddenly it was writing something and called me mr bond and i was like what in the world like I, why would it do that and then i you know sort of recalled that i'd told it to so yeah i i think that kind of stuff will be a great experience for people who haven't used it before hopefully for more serious applications
0: this is just a little aside and i, I i'm not trash talking over ai here but you find it a little bit funny that every time there's a major announcement like Llama 2 this week has just taken everyone everyone's just like Llama 2 Llama 2 Llama 2 all of a sudden OpenAI seem to just have one tiny little announcement yeah. like oh hey guys you can put in a prompt like <coughs> they're just can-
1: keeping they're probably just keeping a few things up their sleeves that they can release to sort of you know offset and w- hose down the um the announcements of the other company they must be so upset about Llama 2 like that's that's a very, very serious uh thorn in their side when it's when it's fully commercial, like that, I mean, that's serious,
0: yeah, or maybe they're sitting internally and they've got the ovens baking up g p t four point five because they're too scared to call it five because they said they weren't working on five, yeah, and the reality is that they're like, look, we're so far ahead here that we don't even care
1: yeah, i mean it's it's really, really hard to say. On that front, um, I I couldn't speculate, and I guess we'll know in a couple of weeks. They don't they don't go slow on this stuff.
0: I still come back to though developers just haven't had time this year to take a breath and actually make any of the, like just push this stuff to the limit. Like we just haven't really seen how you know how how much these these models can be used. Well, and I
1: think yeah, I agree with you, and I think the the way you know that is because all of these new techniques come out like the thought guidance for example and like the sort of progressive prompting that you can do see one thing that um the open ai models can't do that others can is when you use microsoft's guidance program where you actually can generate in context so like to give you an example if you were like designing characters for a game you know like that simulation world that 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 person made. Um, and you want to generate the characters, instead of generating a whole character um, in, in one prompt, you can generate it where there's sub prompts. So like his sword type, you might want to say, well, there's only four sword types in the game, so generate one of these based on the surrounding context. Don't just make one up. And so you can actually very delicately control how each piece of data gets generated so it isn't just like a one shot generate the whole character it's like generate them with these different parameters or you know how you can control things like temperature which is the amount of randomness in the in the response you might want some things like the description of the character to really, really amp it up in terms of the temperature, but you don't want the overall structure to have a high temperature because the AI might just go off on one and come up with some random garbage. So what this guidance allows you to do is have that fine-grained control of exactly what's coming out of your prompts. It's also cheaper and faster because it actually only hits the, the models with lower um sorry with smaller requests so it's much faster and and also cheaper because it's getting less tokens and finally for each of those generations you could use a different model so like we spoke about earlier where llama 2 can be um this llama 2 7 billion can be fine tuned on um different data sets, you could actually, for each sub-generation, have a model that's very appropriate to that sub-generation, so it's actually an expert on that thing, it's smaller, and it's faster, and it's cheaper, and you can do it as one big prompt that is a prompt of prompts, if that makes sense. Now, OpenAI just straight up doesn't support this, you can't do it, but Llama does, and it's really effective, I've tried it. So there's, there's other advantages of the open-source models that OpenAI ai is going to struggle to compete with and look they'll probably announce their own version of it at some point but i think back to your original point about developers not having time to see what they can get out of models this kind of model chaining and model parallelism and whatever you want to i don't know the names for all this stuff a lot of it's new um hasn't been fully explored. And this is just one technique. There's a lot of techniques like this that I think we'll see come out over the, the the coming months and years. So I think that we still aren't at the point where we quite know what's there and what can be done, even with the existing models and even as better and newer ones come
0: out. So what you're saying, though, in theory with, with Llama 2, you could fine-tune a series of specialist models for your application that are experts on particular things and they don't have... Almost interference from being fine-tuned on other knowledge pieces yes. and therefore your app is going, uh, like or another model is going, I should call on this expert on that thing because it is a true expert in in that. Yeah, one and you thing. can
1: do it. You can essentially, as far as the developer interface, you can just combine it in one prompt and use the different expert models or dedicated models to both save money, speed, and get better results. So that's that's another massive advantage of Llama 2. Like seriously, I think we'll see many more multi-model apps coming out just because the the ability to combine them is just so um, readily available now.
0: Yeah, that's mind blowing. I I yeah. think that is that is really interesting, and especially if you can use, as you said, the smaller models and fine tune them with really high quality training on that on the particular. Speciality that becomes very cheap to run because yeah
1: i mean to the point where you know you could almost package it up as a desktop app like if someone had a gpu and you just trained a series of these small models that have ai built into them you could deploy it to a phone for example um and and have it run offline so it's it's quite um the the capabilities of that kind of thing, it comes back to the data quality, the training quality, and the sort of, I guess, skill and expertise of the person building the application to be able to combine the models in that way. But I think that's sort of the future of these efficient, um, cheaply run applications and where you'll start to see AI in more things because it can be done in an economical way. You're not throwing this massive, like state-of-the-art, expensive model at minor problems. The minor problems can be solved by minor models.
0: Yeah. Wow. That I'm just like, I'm impressed thinking about it. I think that that is going to be maybe the way this goes, like maybe the way everyone starts to think this through, but Well, I and think- it also
1: means that you could, you could see a time where I think you mentioned this earlier, the, the models are sort of fungible. You can trade them. Like, you know, I've got, I've got the best model for validating email addresses, or I've got the, You know the best model for generating characters for games and have actual really high highly specific dedicated models and you know when we think about the image recognition there might be a model that's the best at diagnosing skin cancer or the one that's the best at um you know predicting uh you know disease based on someone's face and those things can be sold and and traded um and included as part of larger applications So So,
0: similar to what you said earlier in in the recording, really, you could have people who are experts and understand problems in key industries going and fine tuning small models on very specific problems and then have some sort of like almost app store where you can go there and just pick and choose different models you could license or you're really licensing the data. Uh, in order to construct um uh, an application or some sort of intelligent application
1: exactly because we've seen on the on the the multi-shot training where um people remember people were using GPT uh 3 um to to create high quality examples to then fine tune the lesser models and getting similar alignment results so it's absolutely possible if you get experts in industries or experts in domain specific problems and then you know extract the essence from them in a form of question answer or you know input output examples and get the absolute best examples you can have these small high-quality models that solve that problem brilliantly. They don't do anything else too well, but you just use them for that and you use them in the context of a wider AI-based application and you'll get excellent results at a a good price. You know, I sound like a used car salesman. It's it's great. How do you even license
0: that kind of thing, though? Because it's not like you can have some sort of software license key. Because once you kind of hand over the... Well, I
1: imagine it might be a bit like, you know, when you buy like artworks on fiverr.com and stuff, and it's like, you know, you can have it for this price, but I'm going to sell it to other people too. Or you can pay extra, I mean, Invado is what I mean. And you can pay more if you want the exclusive license. So like, I'll only give you this model and only you get to have it and then I'll destroy it or something like that. It might be that kind of thing where, you know, I'll sell it to you, but I'm also going to sell it to other people as well. I don't think the only way you could really license it on a usage basis is to go the OpenAI route and and package it up, wrap it up in an a, API where you can access. And there'll yeah. probably be a lot of that going on as well, I'd imagine. Probably more of that.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. Uh, two other announcements this week uh, is that Google, um, remember them? <laughs> um, yeah. They have <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah, sorry. Fascinating. Insightful. He remembers
0: yeah, Google. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so they announced that now uh, they're allowing you to have improved search in the enterprise. It's not not terribly exciting, but I think it's worth mentioning. So essentially you can, on top of all of your corporate data in the various applications you use. So like, I assume Google Drive and Docs and everything else you have stored in Google's app cloud you can now build an enterprise search application on it so you had that previously where you could have their enterprise search app but now it incorporates generative ai to allow people in your company to search for things and get generated summaries based on taking into account uh all, all the sort of company-wide knowledge with safety controls and you know it's not going to be shared anywhere uh so that's an interesting that's pretty cool. product yeah and- i can
1: see that being pretty valuable
0: you can totally see the need for this in a lot of companies where it just allows them to like have better shared knowledge without having these, you know, experts that are relied on in the company to go to and be like, hey, how do I do this? Or, you know, what's our policy on this? or, um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, God, we hit that all the time. Like answering security questions, answering questions about pricing and like various things where if it could just go through all your spreadsheets and documents make an assessment. I mean the only thing I that comes to mind with me is like how does it dis- distinguish out of date things that are no longer relevant.
0: Does yeah, it or hallucinates out? and gives the person the wrong information and they quote <laughs> yeah. it to a customer. It's like this is
1: completely trustworthy guys and it's like, oh hey, the floor is lava. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um
0: and and similarly, uh the same week, surprise, surprise, Bing announced a uh, Bing Chat Enterprise. And this is something I did want to talk about because here's the thing so Bing Chat Enterprise is just Bing Chat but they say that it's protected and it, they won't use your personal and company data uh for training or like for whatever they want and it's protected so what about the normal Bing Chat
1: <laughs> so it's Bing Chat but we won't screw you over
0: promise <laughs> yeah you're not the product uh if you use if you pay basically if you pay for Bing Chat Enterprise you're not the product but we are now acknowledging that if you use Bing Chat, you are definitely the product.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting because I see the need for it. Like, you're never going to sell using it in a large corporation to the the management unless you can offer some sort of you know enterprisey agreement that has all the security things and safety and stuff like that. But you're right; it's like tacitly saying everybody else, we own you. Like anything you put in here is ours.
0: Yeah, the examples given are things like compare online and offline marketing strategies. I think that's pretty interesting but again you've got to have the data wrangled into all of your microsoft apps uh that the help me write a successful sales pitch boring i mean you can do that now with anything uh and then there's like a swot analysis so i don't think it's it's just got some use cases built into the chat but it's definitely not anything different to what you can there's, already there's do it's totally
1: gonna be what's that maria condo is that the cleaning ladies? Um, name you know the one who tidies your house or whatever makes it all zen there's going to be people like that for data i reckon in the next couple of years where it's like i will clean your data to get it ready to train your model because if you don't you're going to end up with something garbage like imagine that like a sort of data zen guru who comes in and works out what's important and what's not to train your models
0: and also putting data into an event driven uh, system rather than like Just like databasing it for training is just so much better in terms of, you know, having events over time or changes in data over time as opposed to just static data is much more valuable. I think a lot of people that wrangled their data in the last couple of years are going to benefit. And I mean,
1: really, if you think about it on a meta level, there probably needs to be models that are good at assessing what's important and what isn't, what's still relevant, what isn't. Because without that, these sort of generic, lang chain style things that just get a big ball of crap and then answer questions based on it and not going to be reliable enough for people to trust or will hallucinate as you say unless there is that sort of cleansing process or you know priority process put on it before the training's done
0: this is why i don't think the role of that and i said this last week of an analyst is going any like away anytime soon or you know data analysts or whatever you want to call them because their job is just going to increasingly be wrangling data and mm. using common sense. So like, what do we, what do we train our model on? Where do we, you know, how do we weight that in the, in terms of, um, yeah, I know I know what
1: you mean. It's like the sort of the, the sanity check on the, the thing where it's like the AI can make really convincing looking stuff and then a human goes, yeah, but hang on, we don't even do that. That's not a product we sell.
0: <laughs> I also think just the training in organizations of like how to actually use AI in your day to day, like our unique AI, internal AI to be more productive or help you because... I think there is a problem with AI of use case discoverability. Like you throw ChatGPT in front of someone, and they just have no idea, like how to use it. And so, in in the enterprise, you're definitely going to want like good use cases or templates or things that to teach people how to benefit from it.
1: You're totally right. And if you show someone example output from you know a sort of agent or um, system you've created using AI, they're like, oh, can I do that too? Can I do that too? even though they technically have access to the stuff to do it themselves already. It's just that you've got to craft the prompt. You've got to go through those iterations. You've got to know what thought guidance to give it. You've got to know how to structure the input. You've got to know how to specify the output format or what functions to call. And suddenly you're like, okay, this is actually a product I'm building here um, because it's more than just the raw prompt at that point. I guess that's what you're saying. Yeah, it's an app.
0: It's it's really an app. And I I honestly think this is why the chat interface is going to die a horrid death, despite everyone being like, oh, the chat interface is yet again the future. We were told this a couple of years ago and everyone was like, messenger bots are the future sass apps, bullshit. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure whoever
1: (laughs) created the universe is like, chat, they think this is the solution for Uh, intelligence.
0: This is the pinnacle, morons. (laughs) Yeah. Um. Yeah. I want like a Star Trek interface or a console of the future that feels like I'm on the the Star Trek deck with buttons that seemingly do nothing and are all coloured the same. Like that's, that's well, you know, what I it, want. It,
1: it, sorry, we keep coming back to Llama Two, but there's other things like you actually had this idea many years ago of having a sort of always on recording that where AI is like performing some sort of analysis on, you know, just what's going on around you and then passively providing you with information on that right now if you did that with gpt4 firstly it would be too slow and secondly it would be so unbelievably expensive that it would just not be worth it but now you can get a um amazon jet uh, not amazon god i get all my names wrong nvidia jetson right that could run one of the llamas on it you could have it passively listening providing inference and then giving you sort of tips and tricks as you go about your life
0: yeah this is what i mean We're, we, we really have some foundational tools and developers just need time to sort of process all this stuff so there was one other uh, piece around sort of the big the big four that i wanted to cover or big five or however many there are now
1: <laughs> i like that we should use that expression from now on, by the way so
0: apple sneaks into the ai chatbot race with apple gpt now this is all speculation and rumor they're yeah, been... certainly
1: bloody not going to call it Apple GPT. Yeah. There's no chance. But anyway, come up so with some cool name.
0: I the rumor is that they are working on Apple GPT. That engineers are dubbing Apple GPT, uh, and it's they're calling it uh, created by a framework called Ajax. Not not to be confused with Ajax. <laughs>
1: the actual framework. Called I mean Ajax. these names.
0: Like <laughs> what what? How drunk are they out of ten? Very, but. Yeah, so it does look like they might be getting into this. So your dream might be coming true of an improved Siri. Uh, you don't even have an Apple phone, but you're, you're obsessed with Siri.
1: Yeah, yeah, just at how bad it is. I actually asked Llama 2 um, some names that Apple could use. Do you want to hear them? Yeah, I do. Sirius, Sirius. the name represents the star system Sirius, which is known for its brightness and longevity. Oh, very good. Nova, a bit boring. Lumen, fluent. Aurora? Aurora might work. That's pretty good.
0: I'm going to go with they're just going to call it Siri. Yeah,
1: well, anyway, it came up with some ideas and I doubt they'll be using Llama 2 to pick them, so these names are up for grabs if anyone's interested.
0: I still think, you know, that the the whole idea of just the first company like Google or Apple or whoever that releases a GPT-capable voice speaker in the home that Mm. is that intelligent and responds quickly and in kind of any voice you want is going to sell like mad and they could charge a subscription.
1: Yeah, it really blows my mind that this didn't happen sooner given that this technology has been around longer than we've had access to it. And I know I rant about it, but it just makes no sense how dumb those home assistants are. They're really bad. They can never handle a single follow-up question. They can't perform basic actions. They they just revert to searching the web for everything which is kind of useless and yeah it just to me i mean it's probably coming right like it must be coming and i'm looking forward to it i think it'll be really good be really nice if someone made an open source one that you can add your own stuff to
0: i've noticed now being so used to asking ai complex questions and getting you know pretty decent answers and sometimes obviously cross-checking that but most of the time it's really accurate and great and then you talk to your home, like I've got the Google Homes. You talk to them and you're just so disappointed. Like it's almost damaging their brand at this point using them, how dumb they are. And Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. It, it really is. And I think that'll change. And I think that, you know, the cynical theory is the reason they wanted them in your homes was absolutely not to help you. It was just to get voice data that they could use to train stuff.
0: Yeah, it, it seems like now the realization I've come to is, you know, how Google was all about collecting data since the beginning of time, like since they really were founded. And everyone was like, oh, you know, they're collecting all your data. I've always thought, so what? Who cares? Like, what are they going to do with my data? And you realize that the whole time they've just been like AI.
1: Yeah, that's right. And we talk about the quality data sets that they have the most of anyone. I mean, Facebook would have decent stuff as well, obviously more personal stuff, but Google has everybody's emails. I mean, that's huge.
0: Yeah, whether they are training on them or not is to be decided, but I'm sure they are. Who
1: trusts the companies at this point? Like there's absolutely no way they're not going to use it if they can.
0: So I wanted to touch on uh, this sort of news around some of the early startups that raised money that were focused on AI and, and what's been going on in them. And it, it, one company in particular that stood out is Jasper, which for those in, that are not familiar, which is you can, it can help, Content people write blogs or write ads um, or, you know, just copywriting in general. And they have templates for various types. Like the most basic
1: use case everyone thought of when GPT-3 came out.
0: Yeah, they were just really good at Facebook ads, I guess, and branding but
1: well and to their credit they productized it the way we were just talking about they put a wrapper around it such that people could use it justify using it in their company etc so you can't criticize them on taking the opportunity when it came we just predicted that it wouldn't last long because everyone will be able to do it
0: yeah so they went out and raised quite a bit of money i think it was like 125 million of uh investors money and then this week, we heard Jasper AI, which sells software that uses OpenAI's as GPT to help businesses create and fix tech, cut staff this week, according to a statement from CEO uh, Jasper's head of product. Jeremy Crane also left the company this month after less than a year, according to his LinkedIn. But then I thought this take, I'll read a little bit of it just for everyone listening to hear. Uh, this is from Sam Hogan on Twitter. I'll link to this in the show notes as always. He says... Six months ago, it looked like AI, LLMs were going to bring a much-needed revival to the venture startup ecosystem after a few tough years. With companies like Jasper starting to slow down, it's looking like this may not be the case. Right now, there are two clear winners, a handful of losers, and a small group of moonshots that seem promising. Let's start with the losers. Companies like Jasper (laughs) and the VCs that back them are the biggest losers right now. Jasper raised greater than $100 billion at a 10 figure valuation for what is essentially a generic thin wrapper around OpenAI. the <laughs> wow, other category that's exactly what we said the other category of losers are VC backed teams building at the application layer that raised 250 K to 25 million valuations uh, one of those which isn't mentioned in here is like a um, is mutiny, which is A landing page or a not landing page website personalization tool that uses ai but i think it just got caught up in this narrative i I don't know how heavy they lean into ai um executives at enterprise companies are excited about ai and have been vocal about it from the beginning this led to a lot of founders and vcs to believe these companies would make good first customers what the startups building for these companies failed to realize is just how aligned and savvy executives and the engineers they manage would be at quickly getting ai into production using open source tools an engineering leader would rather spin up their own lane chain and try Chroma Infrastructure for free and build tech themselves than buy something from a new unproven startup. In short, mm-hmm. large companies are opting to write their own AI success stories rather than being a part of Growth metrics of a new AI startup, and we're,
1: I mean, we're seeing that. I see that just in my inbox. Like every company that I use in SaaS has announced some sort of AI play. So it makes that completely validates what you're saying there.
0: Yeah, and also just internal teams as well. Like we saw at Stripe building their yeah. own internal LLM. Like they're not they're not going and buying a, a SaaS product. They're just building it themselves in house. And then the, it goes on to say, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I do think this is this is interesting. Getting AI right is a life or death proposition for many of these companies and their executives. Failure here would mean a slow death over the next several years. And two, there is a certain amount of kick-ass wafting through halls of the C-suite right now. Ambitious projects are being greenlit and supported in ways that weren't, uh, weren't a few years ago. And then they're saying the biggest group of winners right now, unconstrained by the need for a billion plus exit or goal of 100 million ARR, they build and launch products in rapid-fire fashion, iterating until product market fit and cash flow. Moving on to the next, they ruthlessly shut down products that are not performing, LLMs and text image models, blah, blah, blah. Basically saying these solopreneurs are just are benefiting the most right now. And this VC playbook is simply just not working. I mean,
1: that's just, but that's probably partly timing. We, we don't know about all the big ones that are coming because it takes time to build something quality. Like it makes sense if you're just thrashing them out, making a bit of money and going, that you would have results quicker
0: yeah i i agree i don't necessarily a hundred percent think this take is correct it's just the first wave in my opinion of 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 ai and the yeah, obvious low interesting hanging as fruit. An,
1: interesting as an investor yeah what to know what is going to stand the test of time and what can be just replicated by companies themselves that is a very tricky question to answer at this stage especially with like Just getting bombshells like Llama 2 being announced for commercial use, just suddenly. Like, that's with that kind of announcement coming out. How can you have certainty about anything?
0: I would still like to understand what moron VC was like, Oh, I know, let's give Jasper a hundred million dollars.
1: Yeah, quite frankly,
0: you're an idiot. Like, it is
1: a lot given how. You know we could make that software like in a couple of months, Mac- but like that's what's maximum. happened.
0: I mean, they've got like a hundred competitors now doing the exact same yeah. thing, just a race to the bottom on price.
1: I mean, we did something similar in our own product in like a day um for generating um emails. so it's it's sort of like it really was the the literally the most basic thing. I guess those people are smart that they just got a hundred million dollars for it. I don't know if they got any of the money, but um, you know, I guess they were focused on commercialization rather than the actual long-term um viability of the company.
0: It's just the same VC playbook playing out here, really. For me, invest in the tools the developers use to for the gold rush first. Like that's like the, that is just the non like the just the such an obvious strategy which everyone's piled into those companies like LangChain and anyone that took an early bet on some you know rapper. Is easily copied and has no i don't want to say moat because most SaaS companies don't have a moat if you think about it they can be easily copied it's just established once they're embedded in in a number of companies and it it really is a race to get adoption so fast and and people adopted so deep in your application that they can't you know they don't really want to go anywhere and they're satisfied and yeah you might charge a bit more but it doesn't really matter stripe's a great example of that it's just embedded everywhere there's much cheaper alternatives but it's so easy to go and implement that yeah. people continue to use it. Um, all right, so we are just like way over time, but I have two lulls for you. <laughs> okay. Um Worth just it. To, who cares? We don't have any rules. Yeah, we're there's not, no we're rules.
1: Not, we're not aligning ourselves to our audience. We'll <laughs> go as long as we want.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, okay, so this one I, I just got a real laugh out of. AI detectors think the US Constitution was written by AI. AI writing detectors are flagging the US Constitution.
1: It's always claiming things it doesn't own.
0: Yeah, one of America's most significant legal documents is a piece of AI-generated text. (laughs) This intriguing controversy raises many questions. More importantly, how could a document written centuries before the advent of AI be mistaken as AI-generated? Anyway... I
1: know how, because it's part of its training data. It just, it calls such
0: bullshit on these AI detection companies that that this is just like not going to work.
1: They're not going to be able to do it. I, I, I said this ages ago. I, I genuinely do not see how you're going to be able to distinguish AI generated text with a, with a sufficiently good prompt. I just don't see it happening.
0: All right. And my final lols. Yeah. Girl gave me her number and it ended up being GPT. I'll read you the text exchange. <laughs> I, I don't know if this is true, but I really hope it was.
1: Let's pretend.
0: So, hey, it was great meeting you. Let's grab a coffee or something sometime. I'm sorry for the confusion, but I'm actually an AI language model and I don't have a physical existence. <laughs> Is there anything else I can assist you with? Ha ha ha, chat GBT, that's funny. I'm glad you find it amusing. Is there anything else I can help you with? Wait, <laughs> FR for real, question mark. Yes, I am an artificial intelligence language model named Iris, powered by the technology from OpenAI and made available for use by Autonomous, an AI messaging service. My purpose is to assist and provide useful responses to your inquiries is there anything specific you would like help with brah so if this is true that girl deserves like full credit for i think either uh, way either if she's
1: making up the responses that's absolutely brilliant and if it's some service that she set up that's also brilliant that's
0: kind of i really hope it's true i i hope it's true if it is true and there's a chance you're listening to our show please tell us in the comments we would like to know (laughs) All right, that'll do us. Thank you again for listening, all your comments. We, we love your comments over on YouTube and responding to them. And we're so thankful for all the, the nice reviews that you guys have been writing for us. We, re, we really do appreciate it. Um, we have heard you loud and clear about the feedback around audio quality. Hopefully this week will be better. In my, my defense, as I said in the comments, Chris was in a cave last week. <laughs> <laughs> a cave underground recording so uh, in the desert so you know that that was kind of hard to get good audio for but we, you know we tried our best
1: yeah so i'm not in a cave this week so hopefully it's decent
0: but i am curious to hear from you guys uh if you are watching on youtube in the comments about Llama two initial thoughts impressions have you tried it have you gone and used the hugging face version to play around and with it and also
1: what are you going to use it for as well like I mean we don't want people giving away their ideas but I'm curious about the various you know applications that are possible with it that aren't possible with the the APIs.
0: All right, that'll do us. We will see you next week.